Guess what, guys? We're not doctors. No, we are not. If you're going to be making any major medical decisions, please consult your doctor. Yes, and that includes diets, exercise, medications, and surgery. We love you guys. And we want you to be in our OSLP family forever. So be careful. And consult consult your doctors. doctors. Have you heard of ProCare or just have you been living under a rock? ProCare is the very first bariatric multivitamin to develop a a one-a-day vitamin. That's right. You heard it correctly. One-a-day. And they also have delicious dark chocolate calciums that are available during the winter months. That's right. So go to ProCareNow.com, get your calcium shoes, get your multivitamin, and use OSLP for a discount. Are you feeling a little sluggish? A little lack of protein? A little lack of caffeine? Well, we got the fix for that. That's right. Dive Bar Nutrition has the best protein bars. They have caffeine, protein, and they taste delicious. So head on over to divebarnutrition.com and use code OSLP at checkout. Are you located in the Florida area? Well, we have the perfect office for you. Dr. Fridley and his wife, Macy, have created the perfect, welcoming, and safe place for your bariatric journey. That's right. So click on the link below to start your weight loss journey now. And... Don't forget to tell them that the OSLP's girls sent you. Welcome back, OSLP family! Welcome, welcome. Apparently, I didn't know what our acronyms are. You don't? I kind of stumbled over the I mean, we're in the new year. New brand is just OSLP, period. Period. That's it. So, you all are listening to Our Sleeve Life Podcast. This is Kelly. This is Mel. And happy new year. This is our first recording uh, back from the holidays. And I am so excited for the episode that we have for you guys today. Mm -hmm. But first, we want to remind you guys to go over to our website, OurSleeveLifePodcast.com. We have rebranded. We have all new merch up there. We have a really exciting tracker. Oh, yes. It is a habit tracker. So it is not... a challenge, you know, in the past, if you've been with us for a while, you know, we usually do a challenge every month. This a physical is challenge. A physical now challenge, it's... a protein challenge, all of that. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of drifted away from that. And now we are starting to habit track. There is a tracker that you use per week and it covers you for the whole year. And it's so exciting. It's a digital download, too. It is a digital download. So you go and you can use it on your phone, your tablet, if you want to print it out. You are able to use it however you want. But it tracks the pillars, which we talk about quite often. We do. And the cool thing is that it is only 20 bucks for the whole year. Mm-hmm. Now, if you are a Patreon member... So if you're in a tier $10 or higher, Mm -hmm. you actually get a code to have it 50% off. Yes. So we always recommend, so go over to patreon.com forward slash OSLP. Almost said almost OSLP. Almost. Oh my God. (laughs) OSLP period. I almost said OSLT period. I know. That's why I was. Apparently both of us don't know the acronyms. So, but what we do like is like. Go over there just because, like, one, it helps support your girls so yep. we can keep doing things that we're doing for mm-hmm. you guys. And you get that habit tracker for 50% off. Yes. And even, like, today, we have a Patreon meeting at the at the end of the day. And yes. we have to hang out with everyone. Yeah. It's, it's a, a really cool thing. You get benefits, special benefits if you join our Patreon. Uh, one of the best part of it is the winner's bench. Mm-hmm. And if you're asking yourself, what the hell is a winner's bench? Well, it is a support group. And we fondly call them our benchies. Um, They get special perks. They get episodes early. They get all of these things that you want. Yeah. And the support. Yeah. The support group is amazing. Mm -hmm. We have over 200 people in that support group. Everybody's so friendly and welcoming and just there to support and lift up everybody. So, yeah. 
go over to patreon.com forward slash OSLP, join and get your tracker, get all the things. Um, the last thing is a free way. Is a free way. It is preloaded on your phone. Mm-hmm. Again, if you've listened to us for any amount of time, you know what we're going to say. Yes. YouTube. So type in Our Sleeve Life Podcast, hit the bell, hit the subscribe button so you're notified when future videos like this drop because then you would know we have two guests with us. Yes, we do. And I'm pumped. I'm pumped to talk. You're to pumped. Them. I'm pumped. Um, because we want to introduce Kelly and Chandra. They are eating eating disorder specialists. One is a dietitian and one is a therapist, and they both specialize in the bariatric field. So welcome on, ladies. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having yeah, us. Thank you for having us. Yes. So of can course. you tell us a little bit about yourselves, how you got started, where you guys met, all of that? I want to know everything. <laughs> We've worked together for 20 years, wow. so side by side, literally. That's so amazing. you get it then. Um, yes. You totally understand the dynamic. Yeah. <laughs> and I've collaborated um, on uh, you know, working with thousands of patients, wow. eating disorders, pre and post-op bariatric folks. And then we decided it would be a good idea to write a book wow. based on all our years of clinical wisdom. So we wrote Very Educated. Nice. And it is for integrated health professionals who care for bariatric surgery patients. And oh that will be, guys, in our Amazon um, wish list. And it's going to be linked at the end of the, like, at the description below. So that way you guys can get the book. We don't want you to ever be lost with that. Also, can you introduce, what, like, who we're talking to? For those that are at home. Yeah, tell us who's who. Who's who. That way oh, they know I'm the Kelly. voice. I'm a psychologist <laughs> and a certified eating disorder specialist. Um, in Wilmington, North Carolina, and I've been in practice for over 20 years. And wow. because I've been doing bariatrics since kind of the beginning, I'm an OG. Yeah, for bariatric. sure. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, my name is Chandra Evans. I'm a dietitian, and I specialize in both eating disorders and bariatrics. And that is a lot of the foundation of why we decided to write this book is because we find that eating disorder professionals um, aren't don't they lack a lot of knowledge on the bariatric guidelines and then bariatric professionals um, don't have a lot of knowledge on how to treat patients with eating disorders and so a patient who is struggling with both of those two things or dealing with both of those two things would get passed along to treatment providers one you know eating disorder professional sending them to a bariatric dietitian and then vice versa and I think that when you develop rapport with professional that it's so beneficial that you're able to stay with that person um, and treat all aspects of what you're dealing with and so uh, we really wanted to integrate those two expertise kind of coming together, those two specialties coming together. Wow, I, I love, love it. Because yeah. a lot of us have an eating disorder, mm-hmm. whether we know it or not, because I know mm-hmm. that we have one. We just didn't realize it. Well, I knew because I, ha- I had, uh, what am I even thinking about? Binging and purging. Binging, yeah. That's pretty much what I had in high school. And then I... Kind of healed, but then not really because then I started eating food in massive quantities. So, and then I gained. So it, it, you know, it just transitioned to something else. And I think a lot of people in the bariatric world Mm -hmm. think, oh, I don't have any issues with food, but there's a reason why we're here. Like, there's a reason why we had surgery. There's a reason why we why gained all this so much is, weight. Yeah, and, and I don't. I think people think it's either anorexia or binging and purging. Like they don't think about all the other type of uh, eating disorders that you could have. Can you tell us a little bit about like what the different eating disorders they could possibly have or, you know, expand? Sure. The most 
common is binge eating disorder. So okay. that's where someone you know, does consume large quantities of food, feels out of control with their eating, but they don't do anything to compensate for it. Because okay. with bulimia, you're going to see, you know, vomiting or overexercise or laxative use, but binge eating, they're not doing anything to compensate. And so that's a high percentage of bariatric pre-op folks. And wow. we don't have, you know, hard data on that because it depends on what study you read, but um, roughly 50% is one wow. estimate. That's um, a very so high rate. Yeah. And is that everybody that, uh, you know, has a weight problem, has an eating disorder or vice versa, but it's definitely very commonly linked. And, you know, this surgery changes your stomach. It doesn't change your brain. So, you know, working through all of that is really important pre and post-operatively. Yes, for sure. So what made you, 20 years ago, let's go way back. Like what made you get into this profession? Was there like a reason or a why that popped in? So we were kind of the only eating disorder specialists in town and someone found out about us and said to the surgeon, hey, you should go talk to these girls because they treat eating disorders. And so we we didn't know much about bariatric surgery at the time. It wasn't you know super common 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think we got like weight loss surgery for dummies book and like mm-hmm. yeah, crash figured it out. <laughs> To go meet with the surgeon and be like, yeah, we can do evaluations and nutrition education, no problem. But then it just kind of turned into a passion for us. I mean, it's, you know, fantastic patients to work with and see their transformations and mm-hmm. how their life and health gets better. So, yeah, I think it's it's interesting because when you're in this world, it's so nice to see everybody just trying to better themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's it's truly so rewarding to know that, like, by what you guys do is so needed. Yeah, and it's very so important. important. Yeah. Well, Cassandra, it was does you feel? Oh, sorry, Sandra. Chandra. Chandra. I suck at names. She I'm does. So That's she really does. Chandra. Oh my god, I feel bad. Okay. I just don't want you to go through that episode calling her Cassandra. I know, Chandra. There you go. Yes. <laughs> it's like you have to train your mouth to say it. I do. I do. So is that kind of the same feel? Like, is that why you got even into eating disorder? Like, like doing the training and doing all the things. Yeah, so my how I started is a little bit different. I actually just moved to Wilmington, North Carolina, and I was kind of stressed out about not maybe like not finding a place to live yet and not having much income. And so I decided to go into Gold's Gym and I asked if I could work out for free because I was kind of stressed out. And in the bathroom of Gold's Gym, I saw business cards for the treatment center that I ended up working at. And so I immediately faxed my resume over, had a real quick interview with Kelly, and we hit it off just from the very beginning. And um, I fell in love with working with people that have eating disorders from the very beginning. I think you have to have such a level of compassion and some just basic understanding of what that struggle is and that it's just a coping mechanism of trying to get through difficult things in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the same story as, as far as how I, you know, got my hands in bariatrics as well. Oh, wow. Very cool. So did they let you work out for free? Yes. Oh, <laughs> good. I was like, good job, Because this is like the before the days of like, you know, social media and LinkedIn and Indeed and all that. So mm-hmm. she just, we get this resume faxed us and we're like, oh, sweet. We need a dietitian. That's <laughs> so cool. <laughs> I love that. Well, what made you become a dietitian? 
So I took a um, a test from the counseling center of my high school. Okay. So those tests actually work. And I was told that I would be a good carpenter, artist, or dietitian. And oh. I didn't know what a dietitian was. Okay. So I started looking okay. into it and I thought it was the perfect fit for me. So whoever invented that test, it worked for me. I remember that test. <laughs> I don't think I ever I don't. I took it, but I don't remember what it said. Yeah, I don't remember. So. I, like, I don't think I ever took it. I, I don't think you did. Be a yeah. podcaster. Yeah, right. <laughs> that would have been funny. That would have been real. Or at I least never, never in a million maybe. years thought that like I'm gonna be a podcaster. No, I was actually a uh, uh, dental assistant. Yeah. for a few years uh, before this came about, and I, I know. I've worked a lot of different jobs. It's we'll really just, funny because like I brought her this idea, and she's like, I don't know what a podcast is, but I can talk. Never listened to a podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I can I can talk. I can carry a conversation. Let's yes, do this. Can. And Let's then do it. it just morphed into what it is today. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So let, tell me more about like the creation of the book. Why did you create the book? What is its main premise? And like, yeah, just I'll start yeah, Almost that. like if you're a bariatric patient, why would Why would you this? want to read it? Mm-hmm. Why would you want to read it? Yeah. Ooh, they look at each other. (laughs) You give the spiel. So, I mean, I think that we just wanted even a new career challenge. We just wanted to kind of take it up a notch. And we've been practicing for 20 years together. And we wanted to share our experience and our wealth of knowledge with other professionals. And so the book is written for integrative health professionals. So that can be surgeons and bariatric nurses, dietitians, behavioral health specialists, um, bariatric coordinators. Um, The book is full of treatment strategies and case studies. And so I do think that some people patients can value from it, but I certainly wouldn't that wouldn't want that to replace like individual care. And so we just really wanted to share what we've experienced in the past 20 years with other professionals. When we go to conferences um, that are focused on eating disorders, they know nothing about bariatrics. And when we go to bariatric conferences, we see none of the same faces, like our people aren't there. Right. And so we really want to bridge the gap between these two areas of expertise um, because they overlap so heavily. And so that's you know what our passion has become in our work. And so we want to share that with other health providers. Mm, and I, I think can, in the bariatric world, you know, those professionals were so desperate to learn more about eating disorders. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, oh, those are the eating disorder girls. <laughs> and mm-hmm. we spoke at um, ASMBS in June and people were like coming up in droves afterwards and were like, this was so needed. We've never seen a presentation about eating disorders. Our patients have them. We need to know what to do with them. And so that's even why when we made the the title very educated or ed is capitalized for eating disorder smart ladies the book is dedicated to eating disorder it's so funny that you guys were there because we, we were there too oh you were yeah, yeah. in vegas yeah yeah, yeah we yeah. were we were at the table with the roulette yeah with pro care it was like right when you walked oh, right. into the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. so funny. Yeah, we, we took that mile walk, you know, from our yeah. room. Yeah. It was such a long walk. Yeah. It was fucking ridiculous. It was a very long walk. Well, we got lots of steps. It <laughs> was. And well, it wasn't just the, like a, a walk. It was like a walk and then escalator and then over and then escalate. It was ridiculous. It was it was a maze. Like we were really getting it, lost sometimes. Oh God, I loved so it bad. when someone was like, I think I found a shortcut. <laughs> Oh, yeah, we found a shortcut. It was so great. Um, Yeah, I'm excited for San Diego this year because that, I mean, hopefully it won't be a mile walk. 
No, I don't I'm think I'm really so. hoping that it's not a mile walk again. But I can totally feel you on the uh, crossover because being bariatric patients, but also being in the professional world as well, um, it's it's hard. You like you don't see it. And you're saying like you don't see the patients at the professional and you don't see the professional at the patients uh, events. It's so hard because they do mesh like we need both sides because I think the professional world can learn from having patients and, and hearing from them and seeing what the actual struggles are because a lot of the professionals haven't had bariatric surgery. So how else do you learn? Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And when we presented, we did our co-presenter, there was three of us. She was a bariatric patient who had had, uh, was struggling still with an eating disorder. So wow. it was, it was really powerful and impactful to have her speak and tell her story and explain to these medical professionals, like, I am your patient and yeah. nobody asked me these questions and this is what happens. Wow. wow. So now I want to know what kind of questions. I know. That's what I was just going to ask. Like, <laughs> what what were the questions that she wished would have been asked? Just in general about her, you know, her eating behaviors and her weight. She actually got down to a really low weight. So as a bariatric patient, you know, weight loss is kind of, you know, reinforced. Mm-hmm. And, but it can go too far. And so, she, but she was like, nobody was asking me, how was I doing it? What was I eating? What, like, they were just like, oh, you're the poster child. And until she wasn't, you know, and got really sick. Wow. And just even in treatment was just served normal plates of food. And then if she threw some away or brought extra food in, no one asked any questions about if she vomited or threw it away or was hiding food or just no, no questions were asked at all. Um, wow. That yeah. Is so I, not good. No, it's not. No. And I can kind of feel that because I got down to 141 way too small for my body. Um, and I wasn't doing it. I, I just cut everything out, which is not healthy. You fully like, restricted. Now I yeah. know this freaking fly. I knew you were going to say it. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. This little, he's been sneaking He's not in. little. He's big. Yeah. He's big. I got He's a big guy. Um, Embrace him as your mascot. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, no, I will kill him. You're dead <laughs> as soon as you land. Um, I think it's interesting because I... I was always told like, you're doing so good. And, but inside I was like, I don't feel like I didn't feel good about it, but I didn't know why I didn't feel good about it because Uh I, I had cut everything out. I'd done what I was supposed to do, but I didn't know that like, you're not supposed to do that forever. Well, yeah, you didn't understand what maintenance was. Yeah, I, yeah. I was scared shitless of maintenance mode, but like even I didn't realize that like, it's good to cut those things out in the beginning so that you can understand what you need to do. But it, as you get later on, you need to be able to add those things back in and and regulate like, okay, I am able to have these things, but it's just in a different way. Right. Yeah. So I think it's really important that professionals know like, hey, you can't just call somebody a poster child because they hit a lower weight. Like you have mm-hmm. to understand like, okay, how are you eating? what are you eating? I need to know, are you eating healthy carbs? Are you eating your fruits and vegetables? Are you doing all of these things? Because, you know, healthy fats, all of those things play a part in your system. Well, what I find funny that I was just thinking of is like, have you ever had your primary care ever ask you these questions? No. I have not at all. And the first person to do it was my surgery center to ask some questions about my eating habits. Yeah. I remember you were there and I was like, Bagels, cereal. Yeah. 
I was like, I don't, uh-huh. you know? So, yep. like, it was interesting. Deep it took me until I was 27 years old to have someone finally ask me, what are your eating habits? What are you actually eating? I was like, mm-hmm. and I was even confused. I was like, I don't know. Let me think. Let me think. Because it was like, it, it seems like a foreign question that should be asked all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Because, well, like, it's... our mood is tied to our food. Yeah. And what mm-hmm. we're eating. And how we and, feel. But guess what? We didn't know that until the podcast. Yeah. No, so I it's had no like, idea. we're so uninformed. It's mm-hmm. just frustrating. Well, it's like when they say, um, move more, eat less. Oh, God. I hate that fucking Okay, line. but how? How yeah. do I do that? Because I've tried that before, and every single time, I haven't been able to stick with that. Well, they never tell you, like, what should you be eating less of? Because they're not asking the first question of what are you eating? Because the last time we had any nutrition guidance was in middle school, health class. Or health class, yeah. Where and that they was just to learn how to the pyramid. Pyramid. <laughs> Yeah. Right? Like, they went over the food pyramid. Mm-hmm. Or circle or whatever. The whatever it was. is now. But it, they never broke down, like, this is how you build a plate. This is what you're supposed to have on your plate. Moving isn't just, like, working out for two hours in the in the gym. That could be – move more is, like, go out and take a walk. Yeah, stand – I stand more. Yeah. Like, I. that's a new trick that I've done since, since surgery. Mm-hmm. Is like, we even did it yesterday. She's like, oh, we can do this real study. I'm like, nope, we stand. I hate sitting. (laughs) I do. I hate sitting now. Yeah. But it's a way to feel like, okay, at least I was standing all day. I had a walk today. You know, like, it's just movement in general. But we didn't know that. Yeah. But I also think that, like, weight loss and nutrition and all of that, like, there's so much that, like, the discussion is about. But they don't expand on it. Mm -mm. But they even don't expand on, like, What's your sleep? What's your vitamins? Uh, you know, are you getting enough protein? What's your water like? Yeah. You know, those questions aren't asked. And as bariatric patients, those are just daily questions for us to ask ourselves. So it's like if they just transitioned into a bigger conversation, yeah, not just eat less, move more, but like, okay, what are you doing? How do, what does your typical day le- look like, including those extra things? 100%. You might be clued in on like, oh, there's some things that I can do that are manageable mm-hmm. for me. It's not this big, you know, Scary New thing. Year's resolution that I'm going to move more and eat less. Like, mm-hmm. break it down into small, like, actually easy to understand well, and I don't know if they have this class. Maybe you guys can tell us if there's a class out there for this for even for, you know, college or high school. And if there's not, we need to make sure to get one on the books because I feel like, yes, health class like teaches you the foods mm-hmm. and whatever, but they don't actually tell you why you need to eat these foods. Mm-hmm. What is it doing to your body, your body chemistry? Mm-hmm. Why are we trying to avoid more sugary foods versus the other? Because all mm-hmm. we say is one's bad, one's good. We don't actually say why. Why? What is it? Well, do also, your just so much of nutrition information out there is just diet culture bullshit, right? Right. And so it's not actually helpful, and you know, you know, social media is great, but also kind of a curse because people are like, "Well, I saw on TikTok that I should do this." I'm like, oh. "Right? Oh, yeah. like, we hear too dietitian telling you to do that." Uh-huh. Because- yeah, because I mean, we can give tips as bariatric patients. We can say like, "These are the snacks sure. we eat," right? But you need to take that list. If you're like, oh, I will eat all of these things and take it to your dietitian and say, okay, I saw this on TikTok or I saw this on Instagram. Are these okay for me to eat? 
And then you can break it down from there. So I think it's a conversation not only, you know, I'm glad you brought that up, Kelly, because I think it's a conversation that us as bariatric patients need to bring to our professionals as much as the professionals need to bring it to our attention. Agreed. I was going to bring that up too, is I think that it's so valid for your viewers to feel empowered to to know what questions to ask, even to their health professionals. So when I work with people individually, um, let's say we're talking about uh, let's say we're talking about meal planning. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not just going to tell someone this is how you do it. Mm-hmm. You ha- you have to get in their life and learn what their values are. So if they're really into socializing and teaching them how to meal plan with incorporating going to a restaurant several times a week mm-hmm. and making reasonable bariatric friendly decisions mm-hmm. based off that menu, or you know, being able to have people over to your house and be able to prepare meals and appetizers and maybe desserts over the holidays that still allow you to live a life in line with your values um, and socialize, or, you know, if you care more about, you know, family time, then how do we get meals on the table that the kids are willing to eat, that mom's also willing to eat, that dad is satisfied with, or whatever the family dynamics are, but teaching each person how to do that individually, and then to be flexible based off of what's going on in their life. So there might be a season where after school sports are, are taking up so much more time. So we might do more packaged snacks and ready-made meals or delivery services. But when there's more downtime, we might want to get back into more homemade meals and cooking and freezer meals. And so we learning to be adaptable and be flexible, but teaching clients how to do it instead of just telling them what to do is so valuable. So if you guys need that, speak up and ask for that. And then if you're off track from it, have some grace for yourself and permission to be flexible and reflect on why is that not working right now? And let me come up with plan B on how to keep moving forward with my goals, but have a little grace for myself on, on just changing it up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. We actually just had a post um, from one of our people that she was actually saying that she has canceled two of her bariatric appointments because of the fact that she's, she's scared to go in and talk to them because she feels like she's, failing she's bringing in foods that she doesn't like she knows is not good for her at this point in her journey um what's your advice for somebody that's coming to us with that because i've I've dealt with that too yeah i've avoided my advice if that person is listening is to start the next session with that conversation i'm having a really hard time being here today because i'm afraid that i'm being judged And whether that's coming from the professional, whether that's just in their own heart, but have that conversation. It's so hard for me to show up when I'm not doing what I think I'm supposed to be doing and talk about that. Oh, yeah. Straight up be. Talk about what's uncomfortable with that. Okay. I like that. I think shame prevents people from, you know, seeking healthcare. And so, you know, find healthcare providers that are compassionate and non-judgmental in an ideal world. Um, but you know, don't ship yourself of your needed healthcare because of fear of judgment or that you're a failure. I mean, they're we're here to help. Um, you know, not everybody gets a great response depending on who they're talking to. So right. you just really have to advocate for yourself and mm-hmm. and find somebody who's a fit, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Do we want to jump into so some we have questions? A, we have a bunch of questions. Yes. Um, so everybody, we did poll, like we put this in the stories, we put this to our benchies. So yes. that's also, I'm going to point this out just a real quick plug of like, that's why it's nice to be part of the patron group because you get to be involved mm-hmm. in actual episodes. Like mm-hmm. we want to know what's on your mind. Yeah. So. We want to create episodes and ask questions that resonate with you. Mm-hmm. So 
it's it's good because you get to help us pick what our topics are. You get to help ask questions during episodes like these. Like, yep. we really want the audience to be involved because we can create what we think is beneficial for us. Yeah. But we want to also resonate with you. So. Oh, we have some extra questions that popped in. Ooh, yeah. So, okay. okay. So we're going to start off with eating disorder questions. Sure. <clears throat> Sorry. So managing an eating disorder after weight loss surgery while pregnant, specifically not wanting to eat, we oppose to overeating. So how did you manage an eating disorder, I guess, while you've already had weight loss surgery and now you're pregnant? That's a good question. So extremely good question and very difficult. Um, My biggest piece of advice would be to make sure you're building a strong support system. So you're working with a therapist, you're working with a dietitian, um, OBGYN is involved in treatment and really being honest on behaviors and, and the, the, what's behind them. So I, you know, to spoiler alert is there's probably so many different factors that are contributing to maybe why you're not wanting to eat. And so without knowing that person's individual, individual story, but just um, reflecting on, you know, is it nausea and vomiting re- simply related to being pregnant and hormone changes? Yeah. Being pregnant does a, a whirlwind on your body and your brain and um, things are really different. And I think that it's okay to just kind of roll with that sometimes um, as far as the body is so adaptable during pregnancy that it doesn't have, you don't have to eat perfectly every single day to still be healthy. Um, I think it's so important to be honest with yourself on, am I not eating because I'm afraid of gaining too much weight? Am I not eating or turned off from food, from societal pressures about, you know, you are eating for two. So pushing, eat more. It's okay. You're, um, you know, what's really driving that? Is it hormonal? Is it biology? Um, is it coping? Are you stressed out about how your family dynamic is going to change? And the reality is it's probably a combination of all of those things. And my other piece of advice is just to do the best that you can every day. And so, you know, specifically related to food is, are, do you tolerate, I know protein shakes better than you do scrambled eggs. Do you like cold foods better than hot foods? And it might not taste the best to you. It might not be your favorite meal get in what you can get in. Your brain needs nourishment. Your body needs nourishment. That fetus needs nourishment. And so do the best you can. Um, It's so common when you're pregnant that you're really turned off by smells of food. So if somebody typically does a lot of meal planning and then they're turned off by smells and their kitchen smells like grilled onions, that could ruin it for them. So here's where you might adapt your meal planning to have more pre-made know, even just frozen dinners. And you might think, well, that's not my favorite or that's not the healthiest, but that might be the best you can do in that moment. And that's great. Mm -hmm. Um, So be honest on not just what it, what sounds good today or what is my preference, but think about even sweet or salty within healthy choices. So do I want a yogurt or do I want a hard boiled egg or do I want a cold protein shake or do I want to make a hot protein shake that's kind of like hot chocolate? Um, What is tolerated the best and do the best you can to get support while you're doing this to talk about everything that's coming up in between. I love that. Your OBGYN may not be as familiar with the bariatric guidelines for pregnancy. And we have a whole section in the book about it. And that's probably one of the things that people ask the most about is pregnancy. Okay. Um, Because that, that nutrient, I mean, I've gotten the book out with a client and like read parts to them because what they were hearing from their OB kind of conflicted with what we know Mm -hmm. about bariatric nutrition and vitamins and supplementation. So just making sure you find someone that is familiar. I mean, 
your OB is your OB, but then say like, okay, I got to get with a bariatric dietitian. Yeah. And it sounds like to me that like, if you are, you know, pregnant and you have your OB that you should be telling them, Hey, I have an eating disorder. Mm. I also had bariatric surgery. I feel like I don't want to eat. What can we do? Like try to get everybody in. I noticed that with, um, with my ex, like sometimes we would have to have, he had a tragic, uh, surgery, but everybody would come in at once and they would, it's almost like meeting of the minds. They would sit there with him and go over everything. And then they would talk about like what would actually work. So I feel like that would be a good tip too of like, Hey, get your therapist with your eating with your OB, maybe see if they'll Uh talk. Collaborate. Yeah. Get everybody in on it. Get your team together basically and help out Mm -hmm. because it is very important for you to get nutrition the fetus to get nutrition. Um, and I like that you're saying like, Hey, you might, this might not be your favorite meal, yeah, but it's something. Cause I say that all the time mm-hmm. to Kelly. I'm like, it doesn't fucking matter. Just put food in your mouth because your brain is not functioning right now. Yeah. Like, because we know now it's all tied to food. Yeah. You have to have nutrition. A so. lot of people are so used to making food choices based off of what are you in the mood for and what yeah. sounds mm-hmm. good. Yep. Um, yeah. And it's healthy to transition to some degree to what do I need right now? Yeah. And that might be, I need protein or I need simple carbohydrates or I need something bland or I need something salty, um, which is a little bit more intuitive eating, but it's different questions to ask yourself oh instead of um, what, what sounds good. What yeah. are you hungry mm-hmm. for? I mean, that's the common thing every night, right? For couples, what do you want to eat? Yeah, what sounds good? (laughs) What sounds good? good? I also was thinking, like, when you were saying, like, it may not be your favorite meal. It may not be. Like, I flashed back to the beginning stages of being newly post-op. Yeah. Like, you may not want to have that protein shake every day or three times a day or whatever you need in the beginning, Mm -hmm. but you just need to get it in because you have to hit your protein levels. So many times people will come to us and be like, I gained weight and I'm so new post newly post-op. I don't understand. It's like, but are you getting your water and are you getting your protein? Because in that beginning, those two things align so much with your weight. So critical. And so if you're not hitting those things, if you're saying, well, I don't want to have that protein shake. Well, too fucking bad. That's what you're, that's what you signed up for. I know. So (laughs) just eat, drink the protein shake, drink your water as much as you can and just move on from that. It's not going to be a rainbows and sunshine moment in the beginning, but just get that protein and the water in. Yes. You signed up for it. I just love fucking it. do it. Like, I can do it. I have no sympathy because it's like, <laughs> you signed up for it. You did the classes. Yeah, you know what you're getting into. You know, you are completely informed in what you have to do after surgery. Unless your surgery center completely fucking sucks, you know what you're getting into. So you need to just fucking do it. Like, there's no excuses. Just do it. So that's how I feel. I also think with pregnancy, you know, from the therapist standpoint is the whole body image piece of it and gaining weight. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I've been losing weight or been, you know, maintaining my weight. And now to see the number go up really kind of messes with their head. So I, you know, like weigh blindly, you know, get on the scale backwards. Yeah. And I think in general, there's a lot of weight bias for Mm. pregnant patients, regardless of whether they've had bariatric surgery. So I've definitely seen that in in bariatric and non-bariatric patients. So just, you're really just saying like, I don't, I don't want to know what the weight is. I don't want to talk about it unless it's something that's, you know, going to cause danger to themselves or the baby then. Okay. All right. Um, 
Go ahead. I was. I do have a little question. So, what do you do? Like, have you guys ever had a pregnant person that had an eating disorder come to you? And what did that look like? That's a good question. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, both bariatric and non-bariatric. I had one just have a baby in December, so Ooh. she's a new mama. Yay. Yeah, and she was very concerned about the weight gain and was like, I'm already thinking about how am I going to lose it afterwards. I'm like, let's think about having a healthy pregnancy and like what you need to do to like welcome this baby into the world yeah. versus... Yeah, you know, she was thinking like, okay, can I take a, you know, a medication afterwards? And I was like, who's your pediatrician? She didn't know who the pediatrician for a baby was going to be, but she was worried about, and like, let's just reprioritize yep. and focus. We'll work together on this and, you know. The well, weight, that's a good thing too. Is the like weight maybe, will come on, and the weight will come off, and we'll deal with it. Yeah, and she should know. She needs to get on it with the pediatrician. She can even talk to them about her concerns, like mm-hmm. all the things. Yeah, and I think, I think a lot of it also stems with like once. So you know who you are pre-surgery. You know who you are post-surgery. Yep. When you get into pregnancy, I think a lot of bariatric patients kind of go through this, like, I don't feel normal. I don't feel like myself. I can't do any of the things that, like, especially if you're having a tough pregnancy and you are, you know, throwing up all the time. And before you were in the gym four days, four or five days a week. Well, you're not going to feel like yourself because you aren't able to do the The things that you did before. So it's how do you kind of combat that as a pregnant woman not feeling like herself because you can't do what you did before in your bariatric journey. I think just normalizing that that's, you know, that's part of the experience for a lot of women, whether they've had surgery or not. And just, you know, you can get back to that, but right now let's focus on what the priorities are, you know, and maybe your food intake isn't that great because you're nauseous all the time, but like get in what you can get in activity or movement that you can, even if it's just, you know, slow walks, whereas before you were killing it at the gym, like that's just not yeah. going to be real. Adjusting the plan instead of canceling the plan. Yes. yes. Oh, Perfect. You know, I like that. that. You can take it four days a week for whatever reason, but maybe you can go for a short walks four days a week, or maybe you want to go to a, a silver sneaker or aerobics class or a seated yoga class you could do when you're pregnant. You can ask yeah. permission for that. Where you're not getting on the elliptical and lifting weight. So adjust your plan instead of just throwing your plan in the can. I like it. I like that a lot. Throwing That's your great. plan in the can. Throwing your plan in the can. <laughs> I'll write that down. I know I'm writing it down. <laughs> okay. I'm going to get to this. What, what was it? Throwing your plan into the can. Thank you. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> do you want to ask the next question? Yes. Okay. And are um, you going to do dietitian questions? I thought so. Cool. I do dietitian. I'll do eating disorder. I think so. Um, Yes, I have dietitian. Okay. Okay. So the first one we have is, okay, I'm 15 months post-op and sugar has crept back in. I've heard of people doing no sugar for a few weeks, but is that really good? I'm one of those people when I restrict, I want it more and I binge. Okay. So if I was working with that person individually, I had a lot more questions that I would want to know before actually answering that. But I'm going to try to keep it simple and kind of general information for everybody is I I don't think there's one script for everybody. Mm -hmm. I think that temporarily some people do well from completely eliminating refined sugars, not all sugars. I never recommend like eliminating fruit. I think that is not needed. Nobody's binging on apples and fresh peaches. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Thank you. Um, I do think that some people do well temporarily 
kind of detoxifying from those refined sugars so that they're craving them less, they're desiring them more, and maybe kind of exploring when they're craving them. So are they craving them when they're lonely? Are they craving them when they're tired? Are they craving them when they've restricted healthy carbohydrates throughout the day? Like learning more about um, is it a biological craving? Is it an emotional craving? Understanding that more and you're able to understand it more when that sugar isn't present. Um, if you're still feeding that, then you can't really be as insightful about it. And so I do think some people do well temporarily. I think that some people aren't as addicted to sugar as they think they are um, and just need to learn more about what is that what's the function of that? What is that serving for them? So a lot of times when people are coping with food, um, there are emotional needs that are not being met. And that's where Kelly and I would talk back and forth on, you know, hey, this person seems to be struggling more with, you know, craving sugar and binging on sugar. So she might explore a little bit more deeper on what's going on in their life. So understanding the root craving that sometimes it is just biological and physiological cravings for sugar. It is addictive. Mm -hmm. um, and so for those people where that voice is really loud, that volume is really loud in their head. Um, I do think temporarily um, eliminating it. Some people prefer to eliminate it the rest of their life. I think that long-term when you make something off limits, it makes you want it more. Mm -hmm. But I do think that everybody needs to be individualized with that. I have clients who choose to stay away from sugar, mm -hmm. um, refined sugar, desserts and treats for the rest of their life. And when we start working on more mindful, intuitive eating skills and they're making progress therapeutically in their life, they seem to naturally have less stress around that situation. And they tend to, a lot of people tend to eventually in time be able to go to you know, a niece or nephew's birthday party and have half a cupcake after they had a reasonably healthy meal and nothing happens. Mm -hmm. But it's not necessarily a goal that is set. It's something that happens a little bit more naturally when the pressure's not there and it's not something that's off limits. Some people don't get there. Some of my clients maybe aren't there yet. Um, I just think everybody is so different on how I would answer that question. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I would say too, to speak to the point of like, you know, depriving themselves, making them want it more. It's just, you know, I talk to people about like, what's your red light foods? Like, is there something you just absolutely cannot moderate that you just go like, you know, you're going to binge on it. Yeah. Like we don't want that around, right? Like eliminate that, but it doesn't mean we have to eliminate all sweets or treats. Mm -hmm. It's finding a way to like quell that craving in a bariatric friendly way. Mm -hmm. But if it's something that you are just are, completely unable to moderate, like let's not have it. In, and you might eliminate house. it from your home, but you don't have to eliminate it from your life. So mm -hmm. you might eliminate like cakes, pies, pastries in your home, but maybe if you go to a baby shower, you give yourself permission to have something that you enjoy with the rest of your food. And that feels like a safe place. And then you can choose to make sure you're stepping outside, talking with a friend afterwards, playing a game afterwards to distract yourself from going back for more. So a lot of times it's helpful to keep things that are highly triggering out of your home, but that doesn't mean you can never touch them again for the rest of your life. Okay. Yeah. 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 Like if you were an alcoholic, you wouldn't have your partner come bring, you know, your favorite bottle of wine and just sit it on the counter. You mm -hmm. know, if donuts are your thing, don't have them sitting on the counter. Yeah. You know, that's well, and I had to learn that with my, cause my aunt and my cousins live with me mm. and they eat how I used to eat. So there's way more um, desserts. There's way more sodas. There's just random stuff that I have kept out of the house. And my aunt actually made the comment because she brought cookies. So that's my kryptonite. She's a cookie monster. I'm a cookie monster. Um, 
And she's like, it's weird. Like, you don't bring these in, but when they're in, you eat them. And I was like, yeah. There's a reason for that. Like, there's a reason why I don't bring these foods in because I, d- I don't have self-control on certain foods. And I know that. It's garlic bread. Everyone knows. And it's cookies. Yep. <laughs> I can't. I'm yep. like, where are they? If I can smell them, I'm like, eee. Yep. Yep. <laughs> or wild. snacks. Amazon. And I'm glad you said something about sugary beverages, because that's the other thing that I do encourage people to eliminate is sugary beverages or even artificially sweetened beverages, because that makes you crave more. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's another tip that I find helpful for people if you are craving sugar often to start your morning with a savory breakfast. Yes. So many breakfasts, even healthy ones are often sweet, just like, you know, having yogurt and strawberries. And that's a healthy breakfast. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you are really feeling addicted to sugar, it can kind of kind of spark the the need for that or the taste for that and wanting more intensity of that. Um, So that's been helpful for some people is to start with a savory breakfast um, and it decreases their sugar cravings somewhat, not a hundred percent. It's not a magic ticket, um, but to some degree for the rest of the day, some people say. Oh yeah. And it depends on other factors that are going on in your life too, but that could be a helpful thing to experiment with. It sounds like when you're going through this, you need to be having those hard and honest conversations with yourself. Yeah. Like, what am I doing? Why am I reaching for this? What's going on in my life? Journaling about it. Like, even like doing voice notes to yourself. Like, having those really honest conversations so when you go to your professionals, you can actually tell them what's actually going on, Mm -hmm. not just, I'm craving a lot of sugar. And you can say, I'm craving sugar, but these things are going on. This is what happens when I'm craving those. Is that a, a more helpful way of yeah absolutely okay that's why we have plants to you know tracking of what they're eating but also how they're feeling Mm. yeah what their thoughts are you know all inclusive of yeah the emotional and environmental experience okay okay and we we did add that into our tracker so there is a like how am i feeling during the day um and then there's actually a journaling page after the week so you can kind of see where you were at in that week so that might be a good, I, I'm thinking that might be a good way for people that are feeling very sugary. Like you just are craving that. Like you can literally say like, okay, this is the, what's gone on this week. This is what I, when I've craved it. And then that kind of helps you adjust your plan of what you mm-hmm. need. Well, and I just want to point out that actually that you are not the first dietitian that has told us to start eating non-sweets in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't sweet. have to do it every day. No. It's just, a, you know, a, it, it can be helpful. Yeah. Yeah, because I've actually done it with myself. And I notice if I have like a donut in the morning. Like for realsies. I no, I, I believe you. Okay. Just, I just think it's funny that it was like, if I have a donut. If I have a donut in the morning, I tend to want something sweet at lunch. <laughs> I want to have something sweet after dinner. Like my brain is on sweet. So I and even can't if get it all. choose to do that, if you choose to have a donut every now and then, now that you're aware of that, it's not so shocking. You're not mm-hmm. so surprised. You're not like, what is wrong with me? You're just like, mm-hmm. this is how I am. And you can learn, like learn other coping skills on how to deal with that the rest of the day. Right. Um, but there's nothing wrong with you. It's just the way that you are and that's okay. And you can choose, do I want to deal with that today or not? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know that when I uh, have my uh, avocado toast, um, I feel better during the day. I feel I'm not as like drawn to all of the sugary snacks during the day. And I actually find myself it's I know it's not shocking, but it, it was shocking to me that I was like, I actually find myself eating a lunch 
eating a dinner, like having those, because I started my day with something and it's, it just feels natural to like, oh, I had breakfast and now it's lunch. Now it's dinner. Well, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but if like, isn't that because like we start off our day with some food, now our metabolism's going, now we're like, oh, we need to eat. Like our body's like telling us, giving us those signals. We got lots of nods. Lots of nods. nods. Okay. (laughs) All right. All right. So next question for eating disorders. What are things that don't seem like eating disorders or are normalized by society, but are actually are eating disorders? I love that question. Oh, gosh. <laughs> There's a ton of them. Everything. No. Give um, us it all. Our society, Give us- our society is full of it. it it's, you know, everywhere. Um, I mean, I think just the whole idea, like, I mean, we all eat for comfort mm. at, at some times, and, but I feel like there's such a like that's such a marketing campaign for so it's like oh feel better eat this you know better i've even i was at a restaurant one time and it had like a dessert um like a placard on the table and it was like better than a therapist and i was like i'm about to put this in my purse yeah oh my god <laughs> but oh. yeah that the messaging is like to eat to feel feel better yeah. and obviously nourishing our bodies does make us feel good but you know not using it as a substance to cope. Well, um, eating a comfort food, like what's the comfort foods that we typically think of? Pasta, bread, you know, heavy bready things, desserts. That's not better than a therapist. Like that's just using a coping mechanism that is not healthy for you. You're just avoiding. Yeah. yeah avoiding. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I just think any kind of major fad diet is, is, has the ability to cross the line into eating disorder realm. Um, you know, when you're eliminating, you know, entire food groups and, and, you know, if you're not allergic to it, then why are you eliminating it completely? Um, yeah. You know, like, like it. if you don't have a food allergy to it, then why should you cut it out entirely? Yeah. I mean, obviously there are bariatric guidelines. You have to limit things. Yeah. So, um, and then I think, you know, the whole, culture around exercise can be pretty toxic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, compulsive exercise is part of eating disorder behavior. So mm-hmm. you, know, you can have too much of a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. We actually talked with uh, another person about that. She actually brought oh, that actually. up because we were at retreat in November, uh, the bariatric retreat. And it was, she actually mentioned it. She was like, people were saying like, oh, I ate this, but it's fine because I'm going to go work out for an hour. Mm -hmm. Like that is not a healthy thought process. You're working out to move your body. You're working out to build muscle. You're working out for other things. It's not to compensate for eating carbs or sugar or punishing or punishing your, your body because we're allowed to eat those things. Mm -hmm. And I also find within the bodybuilding competition. Oh, that's a whole different uh, I know, but like it, even in the bariatric, like the transformation, yeah. I don't I don't mean to do the the quotes. Um the transformation segments, <laughs> like it's so disordered eating. It's yep. so disordered eating. And I've watched my sister go through a bodybuilding competition. So I know exactly what it looks like. And she was eating boiled chicken, sweet potatoes, and quinoa. Yep. Every single day. And she, her waist was like this big. Like, I'm not even joking. It was so tiny. And then as soon as the competition was over, what did she want? 
we went to Mexican food and they stopped off on the store and they had cookies, candy, chips, all of these things in the car for the drive to the Mexican restaurant where they then ordered massive amounts of alcohol, massive amounts of chips and guacamole and sour cream and cheese and like all these things. And I was just like, how is this healthy? Even back then, I was like, how is this healthy? Like you go through this bodybuilding competition because you're trying to be your healthiest, right? That's not healthy at all. Mm -mm. It's so disordered. Well, and they know, like, that's the deal is like, Boxers know this. UFC fighters mm-hmm. know this. Anything that has to do with some sort of bodybuilding, they do this. Mm-hmm. And we have friends that have done it, and they're just like – They're in it, it right now. That are in it right now. And they'll talk to us about it, and you, I feel bad. But also I don't because I'm like, you chose to do this. This, yeah. is, this is how it works. Unfortunately, it's not healthy. It's not it, healthy at all. Can that be uh, an addiction, like doing these bodybuilding competitions and doing having that disordered eating? Is that – would that be considered an addiction? Yeah, I would call it an obsession. Yeah. Obsession. I mean, it's obsessive thinking, obsessive behavior. They're obsessed about numbers, the scale, calories, macros, okay. what they look like. They're mm-hmm. obsessed with their hydration status, fluids, body fat. It's being obsessed. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. All right. Your okay. Turn. You're up. All right. I'm up. I'm up. Okay. <laughs> I love this question so much. Soup. Is it a solid and a liquid? Both. Can we eat it after surgery without discomfort? Oh, that is such your question. <laughs> I hate soup. So confusing. So in the really early stages, I would ask someone to separate fluids from, let's say, their canned vegetable soup. In the very early stages, I would say to separate that. Um, I had a person who wanted to go to Olive Garden, and they were so upset because they felt like they weren't able to get their minestrone soup with their breadsticks oh. and their salad. Mm-hmm. And I, I proposed that they were just mindful of scooping the majority of the you know, the chunks of the little pieces of pasta and the vegetables out of the soup and then leaving some of the broth in there. Okay. Um, I don't, that okay. does not need to be all or nothing the rest of your life. Okay. Um, you might notice, this could be on an individual basis, you might notice that if you're having a broth-based soup with more chunks that you're not full for very long or you're able to eat a larger volume than mm-hmm. you think is normal for you. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're eating a thicker, heartier soup, something like a chili or like a lentil soup that is, you know, more has more substance to it, you'll probably be full on a smaller portion. So then the restrictive nature of the surgery is functioning better. Um, So in the early stages, I would be strict about that when you're following, you know, when you're on the clear liquid and the pureed food and the soft food diet, I would be strict on those things. But afterwards, um, just be really mindful of what you're tolerating. And I think it depends on if you're having anything with it and what surgery you had. And, um, but just noticing that. So again, you might love a, a chicken noodle soup that has broth in it, just don't be surprised that you're able to eat a larger volume of it, kind of like you with the donut. Mm-hmm. Just don't be surprised. But because you can eat a larger volume of it, that might not be the, the choice that you want to make you know, on a regular basis. So it is not harmful um, mm-hmm. unless you're doing it all the time and then you're maybe consuming more calories than what is ideal for you. So I don't think it has to be an all or nothing. Okay. All right. Well, and is it, I mean, We've talked about this before, but I want to make sure from a dietitian's point of view, like the soup is going to like also make you hungry again because it's not so solid. Yeah, I guess you kind of already said that. Yeah. Because the fluid allows the substance of the food to flush out of the, the, the pouch earlier Thank or you. to That's sleep earlier. Okay. Yeah. All right. So it won't be as satiated for as long. And that is okay if that happens every now and then. Have your favorite soup. But I, but don't be surprised if you're hungry a half hour after you have a bowl of soup that has broth in it. Don't be surprised. And yeah. that's okay. Just plan to have a snack. 
Well, there's a yeah. reason why they tell you to separate w- when you're drinking water when, and you're eating. Like the the reason behind that is that it's flushing out the nutrients that you just ingested. Mm-hmm. Plus, it can it make kind you of a little manipulates sick. the restrictive nature of the pouch or the sleeve. Mm. It manipulates the restrictive nature. So if you're drinking with it, 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 the food flushes through and you're able to eat more. Okay. So I had a gentleman oh. recently, he, he came in, he was several years, maybe five years out from surgery and he had a foot long hoagie. And we're thinking, how in the world is that possible? Um, and I actually had him go to his surgeon and test to, to see the size of his pouch and see if it was stretched or not. And mm-hmm. um, it came back the normal size. And so I had asked him if he was drinking with his meat and he denied it and then I asked him again because I'm thinking it's impossible that you mm. ate a foot long hoagie and he mm-hmm. said he eventually said yeah well I mean I'm drinking a little bit but not as much as I did before surgery and so when you're taking a bite of food and then you take one sip it flushes it out of your stomach into your intestines and then you might take two more bites and then one more sip and it feels innocent and he was drinking water instead of sweet tea so I think in the beginning he wasn't lying necessarily to say, no, I don't drink. He just thought it was no big deal. It wasn't very much and it was water instead of tea, but that manipulates the restrictive nature of the Mm -hmm. surgery, allowing you to consume more than, than what is ideal for you. Yeah. And I want to go back to the chili situation just for a hot second, just because, (laughs) um, I love chili and I, even to this day, eight years out, literally when I eat chili, I'm full so fast. Oh yeah. Cause it's a very thick, like yeah, that's a big hearty food. soup. I would, I, you don't need to be concerned about that being like a liquidy soup or that. Not at all. Any types of all. beans. Those hearty and like, soups are totally appropriate. Good to go. Mm-hmm. Okay. So just on a funny side note, I had a lady who um, was choking on a toast crumb oh. to the point that her husband had to give her the Heimlich. And she came in and told me that she's so proud of herself because she didn't sip on any water while oh she was God. eating her toast. Let's that not choke. <laughs> so just understanding why that rule is there is valuable because we don't want her passing out for that going into her lung or something. Yeah. So um, understanding why you're supposed to separate is that it, it does manipulate the restrictive nature. But there are times where if you, there's a little bit of gray area or there are times where it's appropriate to go ahead and take a sip. You know, if something's unbelievably spicy or you're not not ruining something you're not like there's there's a little bit of wiggle room there well and does that kind of does that kind of fall into the disordered eating also like if you are doing that purposely so you can eat more i would say yes if your intention is to manipulate that becomes disordered eating habits Uh yes okay and then you need to go to your therapist and talk about that okay yeah because i remember in the beginning remember i had that pizza Yes. Motherfucking pizza moment. That you spit out. That yes. I did spit out. But that was part of my manipulation was I was like, I'll chew it as fine as I can to swallow it. And then when like people came in, I hit it. And then I just spit it all out. So it was like I got the taste, but it was also me spitting it out. And then also me trying to like get it down by chewing so much. So I felt I felt very oh, how do I word this? Like I felt kind of disgusted with myself that I even mm-hmm. did it. Like, I was yeah. very upset. I was like, why did I just do this? Mm-hmm. This is crazy. Mm-hmm. In that situation, what I work with clients on is identifying their craving and then finding a way to meet that craving in a bariatric-friendly manner. So if you're real, I mean, pepperoni just has, like, the most amazing flavor. There's so much, like, bang for your buck there. But doesn't mean that you want to order a cheap, greasy pizza that's, you know, a thick dough that's going to be physically harmful to your new stomach. So learning how to 
be flexible and adjust your game plan on how you meal prep. If you maybe use a, you know, a tortilla with spaghetti sauce and skim of mozzarella cheese and experiment with turkey pepperoni and bake that, you could put mushrooms, onions, and peppers on it, some red pepper flakes, and get those flavors that you're craving. If it, you know, sun-dried tomatoes, basil, oregano, and get those flavors from pizza, but do it in a way that is good for you, in a way that is more reasonable, more bariatric friendly. Yeah, I actually did it on Canadian bacon. Mm-hmm. in the early stages. So I would do a, a slice of Canadian That's bacon. Crazy. I would do some pizza sauce, some cheese on top of that. And then I do um, some pineapple because I love Ew, Hawaiian pizza. Know. Shut up. And, Canadian bacon uh, and then shit. I would bake it until it was all melty and cheesy and good. And then I would eat that, but it would give me that flavor. But I'm not, mm-hmm. like you said, I'm not ordering a, a greasy like dough based pizza and yes did I miss the bread of course I did like yeah. I'm not neurotic like I know that I missed it but it still gave me that without having to sacrifice what I was working for yeah so you should make that now for yourself I know I just realized and I think one about. point that you made like if you're sneaking food that is disorder okay. you know if you're sneaking food or hiding food like check in with yourself about that and and definitely you know talk to someone about it that scared me that's for sure yeah. um because yeah, yeah if you're if, if you're doing that regularly you know if that's something's going on okay. okay so sneaking food of any kind like any kind of sneaking yeah, sneaking hiding you know it's a general rule if you eat different when you're alone compared to in general is how you eat with other people there might be something there to explore okay all right okay so next question how can you balance losing weight for health reasons, but staying away from eating disorder triggers and or toxic diet culture mentality? I mean, I think this is my bias. I think working with a professional team is the way to do that. Yeah. You know? I mean, we're not anti-health here, right? We, no. we support people's you know, weight loss journeys, mm-hmm. but doing it in a way that you're, you're making sure you're getting the nutrients you need, that you're not, you know, restricting or using food and, you know, for emotional reasons, you know, you're not avoiding coping with other, you know, traumas or other, you know, psychiatric conditions. So, you know, again, we're not anti-weight loss. You know, this is part of the, the process and we want people to be healthier, but you, know, you want to do it in a healthy way. So having that support is from your team. Yeah. Okay. I think you're it's important. Well, I, I want to chime in on oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, of course. Um, people of what is in your environment, what social media, what magazines, what television shows are you watching that can be driving a lot of focus on diet culture? So a lot of focus on an ideal body's shape um focus on that you're supposed to look a certain way um are you following you know fitness professionals that are really trying to boost fitness goals or is it about i'm trying to get a six-pack to look a certain way Um, and if you're finding yourself following social media influencers that are very focused on body image disconnect from them yeah even if you really like them even if they're really good people disconnect from them because that might bring up some stuff for you that is triggering Mm -hmm. um and knowing your triggers to your eating disorder so and then finding alternative ways to cope which is again working with your treatment team um i tell people you know weight loss isn't the goal it's the byproduct the goal mm -hmm. is behavior change and healthy habits and you know a new lifestyle it's you know the weight loss will come as a result of behavior change and and being at peace with yourself and your, your food. 
And it really, really does. I can detest yeah. to that. Like, because once you hit maintenance mode, you know, you're not losing. <laughs> so, but you start feeling better and inches are moving and things are going well and your health is up. And so you just have to just keep going and know that this isn't just like a weight goal. This is like a lifetime situation that you just have to keep in line with yourself. Mm-hmm. And some people are like, why? Like, we always say lifetime. And it's like, well, yeah, because it's your life. And you you can't only just do it for one day and then expect your whole life to be the same. Like, mm-hmm. you have to work on yourself no matter what day it is. Yeah. We don't just wake up one day and are at our goal weight and that's it. Like, you have to continually work on it mm-hmm. to get to that goal weight or get to that health goal. And then you have to continue to work on that every day. Because yeah. if you don't, guess what? Like, you're going to gain back. I mean, I'm, I think I've done it. So it's so helpful sometimes to see it as a value. So health is a value rather than a goal because a goal, you can be like, screw it. I don't care right now, but a value, you know, if I value my marriage or I value my faith, I never say screw one of those things right now, but I might go through times in my life where it's harder to communicate with my husband or be connected, or mm-hmm. I am questioning, like, does God really exist? And so mm-hmm. um, it's okay to struggle sometimes with your values, but you never say screw who cares mm-hmm. to them. Yeah, so if I you like see your health as a value, you might be more likely to always try to do the best that you can in the moment, as opposed to saying like, I don't have time for that right now. I like mm-hmm. that because we do that all the time. We'll say, fuck it. But you don't do that to something that's very yeah, valuable. Yeah, and so changing the way that you think is like, it's not fuck it. It's like, no, I fucking care. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> I fucking care now. We got so like, I always say that, like, say that out loud with people in sessions is like, no, you do care. Mm-hmm. You do. That's like an old thought process. It's just autopilot of screw it, fuck it, I don't care anymore. But yeah. well, that's diet now. mentality. Oh, oh 100%. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Like, I remember so doing listen. all my diets. And the weekend would come and like, guess what? We went out to breakfast and I ordered pancakes and then I'd be like, "Mm, screw it. I already ruined the weekend. Let's party. And I would have all the foods I wanted. And then Monday would come and I would still be eating those foods because I've already retrained my brain because I was like, eh, it's fine. Mm -hmm. And if you use it as a value and you say, no, like I have to get protein, I have to get water. These are, these are things that I do in order to bring my health to the forefront. You just do it. I think it's so helpful too, in that example, to think of what's the middle ground. So it's not, am I going to get pancakes or am I going to get the vegetable omelet, the white vegetable omelet? Yeah. <laughs> like maybe you want to have a half of a pancake of whoever you're dining with, and then you do get, you know, a sausage and, and you know, part of an omelet or something so that you're, there's permission to taste and meet in the middle so that this does feel realistic long-term. Yeah. I know now when I go to walk out of that restaurant, exactly. Yeah. I think now, um, when I go, I go out to breakfast pretty much every Sunday with uh, my boyfriend and some of our friends and I always order a pancake for the table. Like, I don't know if you've noticed that, (laughs) but like I order it for the table because I get ordered on the side and it's one single pancake for the table. Everybody. Well, you got, so my boyfriend had bariatric surgery and our friend that we go out with has bariatric surgery. So there's four out of five people or four out of three out of four people that, cause I was including you. I don't naturally. I don't live the house. She doesn't. Yeah. She doesn't do it. Um, but like three out of the four people have bariatric surgery. We're not going to eat a whole pancake. So I literally just order for the table. I have maybe two bites and that's two bites after I've eaten 
my eggs and sausage. Once I've eaten my eggs and sausage, then I can have a couple of bites of that. Or if I, somebody orders a biscuit, I'll have a bite of the biscuit, you know, but I I don't go overboard. I'm not eating a whole pancake on my own. I'm still knowing that I need to get that protein. I need to get that sustenance for me. And then I can enjoy a couple bites. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. It's, it's, It's my turn. It's you. It's my turn. Sorry. I got distracted by my tangent. Okay. Um, okay. So this is one that we see a lot. Um, I fell off the wagon and it ran over me. What are little (laughs) steps to try to get back under control? I have my binder, but honestly, it's not that helpful. My worst trait is not enough water. Well, first off, fucking Daenerys, get some fucking water. Yeah, We know you. Yeah. There, get your water. Yeah. (laughs) We're talking to you. Okay. So the, but the rest of it, like, we hear all the time, like I, I've been off track for a couple of weeks or it, you know, I'm, I'm seeing more creep in like, and I just don't know how to get off, like back on track. I don't, I feel lost. That's a, that's a common question that we get. So how would you attack Pick that? one small thing to start with. Right. And okay. so you build that momentum, you know, what's, what's maybe going to be the easiest thing for you? Rather than you're like, okay, I've got to totally overhaul. It's the new year, new me, you know, what I, all those all old tapes, right? Hate it. You know, that you just pick one small thing to start with so that then you see some success with that and you build on that momentum, you know, because you're, you're going to create more behavior change by seeing, you know, increase in your own self-efficacy of like, oh, okay, so I did start getting more water and now what's next, you know, and. And you're going to see, you know, other byproducts of getting more water in too. So, but just start with something small or start with the easiest thing rather than like, I've got to completely overhaul everything to get back on the wagon. How long do you start with just like step one? Like, do you wait until you feel like you have a good handle on it? Do you just like, cause I'm thinking from like my, my standpoint, I would want to know like, well, yeah, cool. I know because for you you want to like go into step two, three, four very quickly and not let yourself just be good with one. Yeah. But so like, how do you stay, like, how do you know when you're when ready to time to actually, move yeah, on? that's yeah. yeah. Because you know me, I, that's exactly what I do. I have ADHD. Yeah, like, I like when have to, you like, mastered the one thing. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just going to be individualized for the person, right? Okay. Like, yeah. You know, you're going to keep at something for weeks on end. That's really you know kind of small and not go on to the next but it's just going to depend um you know also accountability and self-monitoring are huge so even if you're eating like shit write it down just being honest with yourself and and your you know your team um you know if you're seeing a dietitian or therapist you know to to have that accountability is is huge. Um, okay. So it doesn't have to be perfect, right? You yeah. know, we're about progress, not perfection, but yeah. you know, writing it down or, you know, whatever the behavior is that you want to change. If you're, you know, wanting to get back on track with exercise, like let's keep track of that and, and see what, what you're doing and how often and how much. And yeah, it's- I think it's also so valuable to learn from the experience. So we all have a, I do well until, and we can have 10 different yeah. untils, but I uh-huh. do well until 
um, whatever it is. My kids started school. I do well until the seasons change, the clocks change. I do well until it's the holidays. I do well until I got injured. We all have that throughout our lives. And so almost as soon as that happens, working with your treatment team to, hey, I need to adjust my game plan to be a little bit more realistic because this is about to happen or this just happened, depending on what it is. School's about to start. And so I need to adjust my meal planning strategies because I'm going to be running in the car taxing my kid a lot more, or I need to adjust my meal planning strategies because it's the holidays because I want to learn to fit in some of grandma's recipes and, yeah. and going out a little bit more. And so you can't always predict when something like that's going to happen, but we can reflect and learn from it because it will happen again or something similar will happen again so that we're not so shocked and we don't throw in the towel so quick. We just adjust the game plan. We're flexible. Okay. So that's hard to learn. So oh. being accountable of your own actions, picking one thing to tackle. And I'm, I'm just going over this again because I know this is such a big question that we get all the time. We do. Yeah. Um, and then being completely honest with yourself of your habits and what you're actually doing. So like you said, if you're eating like shit, write it down so that you are aware and you're being honest with what you're doing. Um, and then being- and it's not to feel guilty. Like we don't want people to write yeah. stuff down and they just feel terrible about showing that they're not proud of what they're eating, but reflecting a little bit more on, you know, well, yeah, I had diarrhea three days in a row. Yeah. And if your goal or your value is your health and you care about feeling good, then what mm-hmm. can we adjust a little bit? Not thinking I have to get back to bariatric guidelines, mm-hmm. but what can I do to make my bowel movements a little bit more normalized? Yeah. Or something really simple. And so- um, it's that we know when you're really off track, it's super hard to do food records to kind of acknowledge that. But the intention's not to track your sugar grams or your fat grams and feel more guilty. It's maybe to reflect on how you're feeling emotionally, to draw connections there, or how you're feeling physically, because that might help motivate you. Of like, you know what? I do care about feeling good. I did feel better when I ate breakfast every morning compared to rushing and skipping mm-hmm. when I'm taking my kids to school. Or I did feel better when I was doing a little bit of meal prep. Um, and cooking, you know, something in bulk. So I had easy heat up the heat leftovers to heat up whenever the kids got home and we were super busy. So it, you know, the food records during that time are not to feel guilty. It's to kind of reflect on the other concepts that are going through in your head and how you're feeling. It's not about about guilt. It's about the records. It's about the data. We can't. It's the data. I tell people it is just information. You don't go to the doctor and say, don't draw my labs because I'm going to feel ashamed of what my no, you would never like. think weird about that. I tell people, this is just your labs. This is information for us mm-hmm. to be able to look at together yeah. to see, you know, yeah. we need to make changes. So, so think about it as data. Like, yeah. I'm going to need to make changes. If you're, you know, your food is off, you're going to need to make changes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think I have two things I want to add to that, actually, mm-hmm. is one, what I've noticed, if you talk about it with friends and family a lot, like, how your day's going, like, physically, mm. it goes a long way. Because I'm living with family that, like, are very open mm, about very. body movements, <laughs> things that they're experiencing. <laughs> then They're so upfront about it. I was just me walking upstairs yesterday. Yeah. Like, like, and then legit. she just blurted out something. And I was like, oh, I wasn't even aware that that was a problem. But thank you for sharing yeah, with me. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like if you talk like that more, mm-hmm. then it becomes normalized. And then we can actually have these actual conversations with friends mm-hmm. and family. Mm-hmm. Um, because with them, I'm way more open than I ever have been because they make it feel so comfortable and freeing. Yeah, there's no judgment. There's no judgment. And um, then I would say um, to the other thing is like, I... I have an analytical brain, so I set goals all the time. I've a goal setter. So like what I would say to someone that's like wants to know when they need to go to the next level for me, it's when I know that like 
I feel super comfortable where I number one is done and I I do it without even thinking. Mm. that's when I know for myself to go to the next level. Um, yeah, that has become automatic to you. Correct. Okay. Correct. Where it's like you don't have to actually think about it anymore. Like that's how I built my like my skin routine. That's how I do my morning routine now. Like it's instant that I get up, go to the bathroom, wash my face, go, go get my water bottle, turn on my tea, like little things that I've just – dealt with and now it's just becomes automatic um and then one thing that flashes me this is totally a squirrel moment for kelly i love this and me is when we did yoga all the time yes all the time we did every yoga day all the twice time. a day <laughs> yep and kelly always wanted me to do something different she was like do this one this one's good do that one uh-huh. you keep doing the same one you gotta mix it up and i was like i haven't i'm still falling down <laughs> on this level, I'm not moving until I'm never falling anymore at this yoga level. And then I will go to the next. So it's yeah. like little things like that. Just make sure you're 100% comfortable, whether that is food and water or even yoga, something. So that way you can feel comfortable and then go challenge yourself a little bit It more. just is totally our personalities, though. Like Mel is like a very routine mm-hmm based person she loves to have a routine yep. she and then me i'm like i'm over here then i'm over here then i'm over there i just want like and i got type a and type b here yes, correct correct <laughs> like the only thing i do on routine is take my meds and my vitamins mm-hmm. thank you procare and <laughs> uh then the second thing is my coffee my coffee is automatic i will get out of bed like we'll be at a hotel and i'll be butt naked and I'll get out of bed, and like before I even thought about coffee, it's already brewing. Yep. And then I so just see your butt. I feel like that. How it? Need, yeah, I don't care I uh, at this point. Like it doesn't matter. But uh, it's like that's how it needs to be automatic. Like mm-hmm. before you even think about it, you've already got your water in your hand. Yep. And so once you get that good basis, then so now it makes sense to me. Yeah. Like, Think of it in regards to my coffee. Like that is automatic for me. Mm -hmm. So as soon as that becomes a habit, then you can move on and add something else. Yeah. And there's no timeline to this. Yes. I think people want to put restrictions on timelines Mm -hmm. to make you, I got to do this. I got to do this Mm -hmm. by next week. Why? Who's, who's, there's no parents. (laughs) Yeah. We, I, that's my saying is no parents. Cause they'll be like, well, I don't know. And I'm like, is there any parents around? Just do it. I mean, just you. <laughs> just you. You're a parent. That's true. I'm a parent. Yeah. But still, it's like, it doesn't matter. Like, don't put a week on it. Don't put two weeks on it. I think just it matters habit. on if you're doing what you know is good for you versus if you're doing what you've been told to do. So mm. some people who procrastinate do well if there's like a timeline or Time kind of crunch. a deadline on certain things and yeah. other people need more flexibility and and, you know, I think that it's so valuable to learn what works for you and take other people's ideas, opinions, perspectives, mm-hmm. and and experiment with things, mm-hmm. but find what works for you yeah. as opposed to do what you've been told to do or what you've read you're supposed to do. And I don't mean kind of, you know, some bariatric guidelines, but the way that you're doing it, the way that you're mm-hmm. meal planning, the way that you're exercising, the way that you routine or structure your day or don't want a lot of structure. Is it working for you? Is it creating well-being? Does it make you happy? Is it the space you want to be in? And everyone's going to do that a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree completely. Mm -hmm. Is it you? I do. Is it you? I think it's me, right? We're going to go with it. All right. Um, I say it's you. As an eating disorder specialist, how can you balance weight loss without sliding into diet culture or disordered eating? 
So I think we kind of already we touched base have, on this yeah. one, just kind of avoiding some of the social media and getting a really strong support system and um, finding balance between the two is hard. And I do think that it's realistic and you can. I think there's messages out there that you can't do both. And I do think there can be a middle ground where you can, um, you know, work on really healthy behaviors and it is not guaranteed weight loss, but it might be the outcome. And it's okay to want that just so you're taking care of yourself while you're wanting that. We don't want to do any harm. So if you're taking care of yourself in a way that is harmful, um, even if that's preventing or causing constipation or, you know, causing elevated cholesterol or you're doing something that is harmful to you, even though you're losing weight, that's not good. <laughs> mm -hmm. But if you're wanting to lose weight and you're doing it in a reasonable way, there's space to want that and there's space in the middle. It, it's hard. It's yeah, hard to find balance is. between the two, but I mean, that's what we do. That's what we and I think not being obsessive about it or having like, I have to have lost this much weight by this time and this, you know, like throw the scale away, which sounds funny coming from, a, you know, somebody who's got a medical grade scale in her office, but yeah. <laughs> no, it makes sense. It makes complete not sense. Not being so obsessive or I have to eat this number of calories or get this many steps. At, like you want it to become a more intuitive process. And that, I mean, that takes time and kind of training and practice, but yeah, but it's not just driven by external. Mm -hmm. It's not just about the way you look and what you weigh. Yep. It's more of those non-scale victories and those health goals. I mean, I, I was bedridden before I had surgery. So my health goal was to not or like walk to the bathroom by myself. That's right. a, That was a goal. And so now that I've I've, I've continued that, obviously, I, that's my health range. Like, I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. am I feeling okay? Am I going to like, am I not having flares every week? Am I able to walk to the bathroom? Like, those are my, my goals. Those are my ranges of like, okay, or my, not my ranges, my gauges for like, am I doing good? It's not so much what my weight is. It's not so much what size I fit into. Cause being a large in a shirt, like that's a goal for people. So let's just not like put a uh, pressure on yourself for those type of things. Okay. So I have one last question. Um, and this is a good one for me to read. Um, on a GLP one and fetamine, what's a good protein target? I cannot believe I'm saying this, but I forget to eat. What the fuck? Laugh a lot. Never, ever thought I would say that, but definitely feel sluggish and tired a lot. Figured gotta be not getting enough protein. Yeah. That is actually, I mean, you might not be getting enough of everything, but yeah. yeah, I would say the same thing. I mean, I feel like the, the way that question wraps up is intuitively she already or he already knows what's going on. And so, um, I mean, you still need to get your needs met, even if you're altering your body's ability to communicate with your brain on what your needs are. Um, and so tracking would be more important because that might dysregulate the GLP-1 might dysregulate you a little bit from traditional hunger signals post-surgery. And so might be more valuable at that point um, where we don't want people to be obsessed with tracking. But um, if you really want to check in with yourself on, am I getting my needs met? That's the way that you're going to answer that. Okay. And we talk in the book about following a prescribed pattern of regular eating. So if you, if your body and your brain aren't communicating because you've had surgery or you're on a medication or whatever, like, then you just are going to have to kind of follow a schedule and you can say more about that, but no, I agree. If you, if you feel disconnected from listening to your body and there's many reasons stress can do that, you know, poor sleep cycle can do that. Uh, medications can do that. Then we just have to be more structured. 
Poor Kelly. You're just. I, I literally was thinking, I'm like, I'm fucked. Like, you have all three of them. I'm literally fucked. No wonder why you're like, I don't feel hungry. And I'm like, fucking me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, because I have. What was the third one? It was uh, sleeping. Sleeping, GLP 1, mm-hmm. and surgery. And stress. And st- oh, yeah, my stress is like. Yeah, those fast. things are just going to affect your ability to be in tune with yourself. And that's okay if those things. Maybe not all of them, but some of those things are serving a purpose for you. Some of them might just be a byproduct of what's going on in life, um, but you're going to feel disconnected from yourself to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. And so you want to have more structure to take care of getting your needs met because you're not going to be able to rely on intuition as much. Okay. There's too much going on. Like, am I just tired or do I need some crackers? Like, okay. you're not going to know the answer to that because your brain's going to be a little bit cloudy. Okay. And also, I'm not a medical doctor, so I'm going to stay in my lane, but I would just be curious as to why they're on a GLP-1 and fentermine. That's what I was thinking. That was a good question to me, Because I'm like, why both? Because I've been on fentermine. Yeah. And, like, I don't like it because it makes my jaw clench and feel weird. Yeah, you didn't do well on it. I was like this a lot. Yeah. (laughs) so weird. Yeah. Um, And it didn't do anything for me. So I was like, okay. But if I had that and a GLP-1, that'd be wild. Well, I feel like a GLP-1 is strong enough just on its own. Like, and I'm on a GLP-1 medication. Like, it is strong. Like, I don't think about food. I, that's why I need, like, I'm, I'm hearing you ladies about creating a schedule. Um, And I'm also on an ADHD medication. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually on two things that kind of suppress the, the diet uh-huh. or the um, need to eat, I I might message her and ask her because I'm kind of curious, the person that asked that question, because okay, I'm kind of curious why she's on both also. Like, yeah. when I read it, I was like, mm, that's a lot. That's a lot. I don't know. I'm not giving any medical advice. But no, I'm just curious. I'm very curious. I'm with you on that, Kelly. Yeah, for sure. Okay. All right. So we only have, like, some of these are very similar, so I'm gonna. I think we only have one left. Okay. Um, what's the difference between emotional eating and eating while emotional? Do you how do you handle that? Because I think they're just scared. Like, am I? Do I have an eating disorder because I eat when I'm emotional, or am I an? Emotional? Can you read that again? Yeah. What's the difference between emotional eating and eating while emotion emotional? Okay. All right. Yeah. So. I think the question might be asking, is there a difference between emotional eating and binge eating disorder? Okay. I'm not sure if that's what that person means or not, because okay. you're saying the same thing in my mind. Same. Eating while you're emotional is emotional eating. That's okay, so maybe thing. they need to know that. Yeah, maybe they do but need they, to know that. So the, so the, if, if the person's question means to say, what's the difference between emotional eating and binge eating disorder, emotional eating is making a food decision based off your emotions, but it doesn't have to be loss of control and it doesn't have to be a large volume of food. So I could be going through something stressful and I was going to go home and make a chicken Caesar salad, but I'm going through something really stressful. And I say, "Mm -mm, I'm making meatballs and uh, meatloaf and mashed potatoes. That's emotional eating, but I have my normal plate. It's enjoyable. I sit at the table. I eat it, you know, reasonably paced. That's emotional eating. That was an emotionally driven decision, but it's not binge eating. Binge eating comes with the feeling of really not being out of control with your choice, your portion, um, and it it, ha- it has to be a volume of food that feels physically uncomfortable when you're done. Okay. So it is normal to make emotionally emotional eating decisions sometimes in your life. Mm-hmm. It's normal. To, it, it's helpful to be aware of that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Well, we also always eat when we're emotional. Like, unless you're a robot, you you're can't. always feeling emotion. Yeah. So it's just a matter of, is it driving your food choices? And, and is if it, it is, are you eating in bigger quantities? Causing distress, okay. those kind of things. So, okay. and, so for the person that asks, just know if you are making a decision to eat off of emotion, that is just emotional eating, just period. Yeah, if you're eating your normal quantity, yeah. your normal, yeah. like... You're still building your plate in the in the way that you normally do. Now, if you're sitting down and eating a full meatloaf and the whole thing of mashed potatoes, mm-hmm. that's binge eating. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Perfect. Did you have any more, Kyle? Nope. That was actually my last one. So this one's just in general, and I was going to ask this anyway. Um, what resources can we give our audience and followers of how to help them with their eating disorders or disordered eating? Correct. So a good um, place to find a, a therapist that specializes is the Eating Disorder Alliance has a, a website with a database of providers. So you can kind of just Ooh. click by your area. And, you know, one of the good things that came out of COVID is that there's so much more access to care. Um, so people say, oh, there's not a specialist, in my, you know, in a hundred mile radius, but now with virtual options, mm-hmm. there are. Yes. Um, so, you know, just, just. On Psychology Today, there's also, you know, listing of therapists, health profs, or um, listing of dietitians. But really, if you're looking for a specific eating disorder specialist, I would go to one of the eating disorder sites that has a database, like Eating Disorder Alliance or the International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals, which is a mouthful. I'll need IDEP. you to send me that one. And I can send you okay. this. Yeah. Okay, perfect. I yeah. love it. Yeah, because I also want viewers, like if you're seeing your uh, bariatric team, but you're struggling with some disordered eating, you can ask your team to get the book, Very Educated, <laughs> because it can help your See bariatric professionals yeah. learn about eating disorders instead yeah. of needing to feel like, well, maybe I should switch treatment providers because they just don't get the binge eating. They yeah. just don't get the anorexia. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of what we want is to educate professionals. So tell your team um, that that's another resource they could use. Okay. And do you guys not- only practice in your area or your state? Yeah, I'm only licensed in North Carolina. North so. Carolina. Okay. I just want to make sure. So anybody who's out there in North Carolina, if you need somebody, please reach out to the ladies. I don't know if you guys are accepting new patients, but um, I, I, you guys are so knowledgeable. And I want to thank you so much for coming on and answering all of our questions. There's I mean, more. oh, you have, still have a question? There's one more. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Are you going to wrap it? <laughs> I was going to wrap it, but there you go. Okay. So one last thing, and this is also in my head too, because we keep hearing eating disordered and disordered eating. Is there a difference or are we just calling yes. it something different and it's the same? Yeah. There's a lot of behaviors that can be disordered eating that don't meet the full criteria for an eating disorder. So you kind of think of it as existing on a spectrum where you have kind of normal eating, normal eating, whatever that is over here, which not many people do. And then that, you know, there's different levels of disordered eating and then, you know, there's specific criteria for the different eating disorders that okay. you so need to get the diagnosis. What is the definition of disordered eating? Oh gosh. No. Don't have that memorized. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just, just if it doesn't meet the criteria for a full blown anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, if it, it doesn't meet the full criteria, then it's disordered eating. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's just something that's like, it's not, quote unquote, normal eating. Yeah. Is what I would think Mm -hmm. for disorder. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. 
to tack on to that, you know, just thank you guys so much, so much for taking the time out and like talking with us and answering all these questions. And uh, thank you so much for creating your book and trying to bridge that gap between the patients and the professionals. I know as patients, we really feel strongly and are, you know, if you guys need any help with anything, you just let us know because I I really truly believe in what you guys are doing. And I love that you are a duo that is fighting <laughs> this uh, obesity disease together and helping people every single day. 100%. Yeah. And I want to say too, that it's just, it's important to us to see other people trying to break the stigma. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a way for people to find you? Can you tell people where to go? Yeah, so our website for the book is um, bevereducated.com, B-E-V-A-R-I-E-D-U-C-A-T-E-D.com. And then the clinical part of my practice is Chrysalis Center. Um, And so I can send y'all all all that information and links. Yeah. We have Facebook. Okay. Are you on any social medias or is it just Facebook? We're on Facebook and LinkedIn. We're not on the gram because we're old and don't know how to do that. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Now it's TikTok's where it's at now. Yep. I know. We we don't do that either. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. We'll forgive you. That's okay. It'll be in the description, everybody, if you want them to know. So don't forget to go over to our website, Mm -hmm. get that ebook, get those, um, the pillars, the the, habit tracker. The habit tracker. I know. I just call it the pillars. Mel is like more tongue tied than me, and this is not normal at all. So (laughs) it's really, I'm. He's really very enjoying this over here, like very much. You little brat. This. Yeah. Um, but yeah, go over to our website, yes. uh, sign up for the newsletters. We send out two a week and uh, get your habit tracker that is linked on the page under um, digital downloads. Don't forget to uh, subscribe and ring that little bell on YouTube and then join our Patreon, guys. It's great. It's I love it. Uh, patreon.com forward slash oslp and make sure that you keep watching us keep listening and keep looking at all the things because we are constantly evolving and bringing new excitement to the bariatric world right so all right well we love you guys and we will see you next time bye hey guys we hope you love the episode just as much as we did so go over to youtube Hit subscribe and that little bell and see our lovely faces every Tuesday. And we are also available on all social media platforms. And we would love for you to stop by and say hi. Thank you so much for listening. See See you next Tuesday. Tuesday.